Hey everyone and welcome to the 147th edition of DF Direct Weekly. It is the Maximum Break edition. Uh, lots of news to get through this week, including the arrival of a genuine gaming phenomenon. And uh, joining me to discuss it, first of all, John Linneman. Rich, yes, I've played it. <laughs> and we're going to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> Among other things. <laughs> through gritted teeth? Who knows? We'll see. Yeah. And um, of course, Alex Batalia. Yeah, not a lot of news coming. I didn't play so much Pale World, to say the least, as John did, but uh, we got a stuff to talk about still. Yeah, first of all, um, many thanks for slightly adjusting your camera, so now your shelves are almost square. They're almost level. Yeah, I mean, that's all an illusion, though, <laughs> the, as I've described in the past. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's get to it. So, yeah, this kind of came out of nowhere. The end of last week, Power World has arrived. And um, it's not really a digital foundry game. We have got a video coming on it, probably out now, actually, based on the Xbox versions of the game. We're going to be talking primarily about PC here because, um, well, at the beginning of the week, John put out a 55-minute uh, video <laughs> exclusively for supporters of the DF Supporter Program. And having watched it, it's probably best that that is the case. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to go to you first about this, John, because, well, you know, for those including myself, who haven't played it. What is this thing? Why should I be interested? And why has it sold upwards of 6 million copies? I mean, you, Rich, specifically, I think there is zero reason for you to be interested. Uh, you will not like this game. <laughs> but uh, okay. as for everybody else, well, having played a bunch myself, I think it's pretty obvious why it's appealing and I under I can see its success and it's pretty savvy on the part of the developers I'd say they're because they've basically combined a lot of things that people love including one that has arguably been struggling so obviously there's the Pokemon side of things which is the cute little creatures uh those games uh I don't play Pokemon games I've never played through one ever uh, but they're very popular to some degree, because in recent years, they've been having a lot of issues, technical issues, design issues. Uh, there's been some good stuff from what I understand, but they're kind of, it kind of feels like the series is struggling a little bit right now. Uh, and right. so people are kind of not happy with, with those types of games at the moment, necessarily. So by offering, there have been other games like this, though, like Cassette Beasts, for which I understand is really good. Uh, but this is characters that look very much like the Pokemons only they're called pals, but they're pretty much the same thing. Let's be honest. Uh, so that's automatically gets people interested. Secondly, uh, this is another one of those early access survival games. And I've made it pretty clear that I don't like survival games at all, but I respect that people love them and I can understand completely why people love them because it is a, it's almost like I, I think back to like when I was a kid, you'd like build like a fort, like we built like a tree fort and we're collecting stuff and building stuff and physically made this place. And I did that with friends up in a tree and it was fun. And I feel like, especially with friends online, it kind of recreates that experience of just exploring these worlds. Uh, and it's a big colorful world with a nice, like sort of, it's got a decent aesthetic to it and a nice view distance that kind of gives you the sense of scale. That's cool. Uh, and just that, that idea of exploring this place with your friends, capturing monsters and sort of making your fort is cool. 
And the mm, way they sort mm. of improve it here is like as you capture the quote unquote Pokemon, the pals, you can put them to work in your slave camp and they can build your um, <laughs> fort for you, which uh, admittedly. So I didn't in my hour video, I hadn't figured that out yet because so the hour video was literally just the first time I ever played the game. And I thought it would be funny to capture myself playing it because famously i don't like these games so i was like well this is this will be a good time and it well, was you don't seem to like the pals either because nope. you kept punching them for some reason and well, throwing them off mountains that that was when i discovered the good stuff in this game for myself <laughs> aside from that was uh everything's got physics and it's just real silly because the pals themselves aesthetically don't gel with the world at all so it just looks completely out of place, which is funny, actually, especially once you get guns and stuff in here. It's like the whole I think that's the shocking thing that gets people excited as they see. Wait, it's like Pokemon with guns and it looks like it, it's just madness. Right. So mm -hmm. combine all that for me, though, it's like, yeah, punching dudes, sending them. I was enjoying kicking the kicking them around with physics and then discovering there's like a wanted system like Grand Theft Auto and like police and military comes out hunting for you if you hurt any of the humans. But then apparently you can also capture the humans in a ball, uh, the pow ball or whatever they call it. And uh let so it's just hell sphere john Pal sphere please so it it almost feels like they like broke the rules out of like the rules of engagement for this kind of stuff like nintendo would never let you go around punching pokemon and throw their corpses around and you know you with ragdoll physics and arm them with weapons and it kind of feels like again like the childhood fantasy of you're playing with toys and you're like i'm gonna take the teenage mutant ninja turtles with the uh, the gi joes and the <laughs> and the the real ghostbusters and put them all together and then i'm gonna melt them with like a magnifying glass it's it kind of has that appeal to it right which yeah. also aligns i would say yeah. with popular stuff like roblox uh which is all about creativity and doing stuff to a degree, Fortnite, I guess, Minecraft. Like it taps into that sort of creativity angle that people love. And when you have that, you have friends, you have Pokemon like things. Yeah, people are going to love it. And they absolutely do. Uh, you know, obviously, like I said, not it, it's, it's, I can appreciate this more than like Ark. Like I, I, I know what Ark's doing. I can I can understand why that's popular as well. But boy, do I hate playing Ark. It's just this. It's <laughs> and that's possibly why this works better because it takes a lot of those those Ark things and sort of distills it down into something that's like a lot easier to deal with. Like Ark, if you go through its menus, you're just like, is this is this like SAP or like some sort of like. <laughs> You know, is this a Novia? Like, what's going on here? Like, just in terms of, like, what, what am I playing? Like, what am I even playing? It's just, like, menus of crap, and you got to figure this stuff out. And it ain't fun, for me, anyway. This simplifies that. And it just kind of makes it immediate in a way that makes sense. So... I mean, I haven't played these games, but there is something a bit disturbing about capturing cre creatures and forcing them to do your bidding. Uh, uh, and that's part, and that's Pokemon's the, always been that's that Pokemon. way. Well, that's that's my games. point, right? Yeah, yeah. but um, but you know, I, I watched a bit of John's video where he's basically abusing them. <laughs> 
And I note that Peta have put out a statement on Power World, which reads as follows. Peta has always has already heard from many Power World fans who have no interest in e- eating powers. You can eat them. Yes, I don't know. I, didn't I think try you that. can. Probably. And I think want, you can. they want a vegan guide created for the game. It's veganary after all. Oh my all. god! Are you kidding? And gamers want to help animals by eating vegan in their game worlds and outside. And um, this article from Game Rant, I just did a Google, popped up. It's worth noting that the statement from PETA seems concerned only with eating pals, even though there are a few other potentially distasteful activities available to do in Power World. In addition to the aforementioned slaughter of pals, captured animals are put to work in what essentially amount to unpaid labor oh, yeah, camps, absolutely. with their only recompense being a fluffy bed and some grub. Furthermore, even human NPCs can be captured in Power yep. World in the same manner as animals. It is a slave trade game, basically. That's what it's all about. So, well, you know, six million plus copies sold. It shows. I mean, it reminded me of like Mother Base in Metal Gear Solid Five, with with you can like uh, Fulton extract people to work at your base. Yeah, that was always slightly dodgy, wasn't it? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. that came earlier, and so, but yeah, it was also in MGS Five, and that stuff is is weird. The so the but being able to create slaves out of the pals really is the secret to making the game more fun because like when i first had to bust out another effing crafting table and start banging on rocks i was like no i don't want to do this anymore i hate crafting tables like go away but eventually you can actually kind of overcome some of those annoying things and yeah you still got to craft to a degree but it does automate some things and make it more palatable, I guess. Ha, palatable. palatable. Ooh. Right. <sighs> I mean, isn't the real reason this is successful is down to the fact that you can't buy Pokemon on anything other than a Nintendo machine? Oh, uh, I mean, <laughs> I would say that's not a... That's a tricky one because, yes, obviously the Pokemon-like creatures are a big draw and obviously there's hunger for that on other machines, but this game is not Pokemon at all. It really is not. I mean, literally, the only similarity is the way the creatures look and the act of capturing them. But Pokemon is is a more traditional Japanese-style role-playing game, like a turn-based role-playing game. Uh, yeah, and this, this is Ark Survival Evolved with Pokemon. 100% is what okay. this is. Uh, just sort of distilled and simplified in a way. So, mm-hmm. And the GTA Riot Police. Yeah, yes. and so that stuff, that's weird. And, of course, this is an Unreal Engine game, uh, Unreal Engine 5 even, but it is not using any of those features like we've kind of commonly seen. And it's probably for the better because it doesn't exactly run that well. And they have well, the... Co- yeah, I mean, I've watched Tom's console video. <laughs> for the way it looks, the performance uh, it's, is incredible. Yeah, it's <laughs> I mean, he's very dude. kind to it. I would consider that an affront to the console hardware. Technological perspective, dude. That Xbox One version, like holy moly, that that looks. That's what you would have expected. The Xbox One version looks like what I would label a bad Switch port. So I can't even imagine what this would be like on Switch. Are we talking like 240p at like 15 fps? You know, that's that. Well, who knows? I'm expected. I would expect if they ported this to Switch, it would actually look and run worse than that original Arc port. Like I think it. Oh yeah. It's that bad. It's it's. It's severely bad. It probably should not have been released on Xbox One, given that. But hey, I guess people will play it there anyway. Uh, and even then, even if you're playing on the like Series X, like it just doesn't run well at all. Like, and I, I guess they 
they technically have the excuse of it being early access. And I say excuse only because their prior game is like four years old and it's never come out of early access. So you can kind of use early access as a shield from criticism. But this is just brand new. So I'll give them that for now. But it's currently very unoptimized and it doesn't feel very coherent either visually. Like some okay stuff, but it, I mean... I don't want to criticize them for using like asset store assets because it's what it's for, right? But it it does feel kind of cobbled together in a way that doesn't work for me. Yeah, so I much, mean, you know? it's the thing, right, John? I mean, if you're basically buying assets from the store, I mean, again, I'm referring to uh, Tom's console video here. Yeah. I'm sure it's better on PC, but well, the assets don't actually seem to materialize in game. You've got these like super low risk quality textures. <laughs> It's like you've bought them. Why not use them? Well, I mean, they they are using them. Just maybe they're not that. And that's part of the problem is the way they're scaled up and placed. There's like a mismatch between quality all over the place where like some some types of things look good. Other parts do not look good. And they're all kind of jammed together. And there's, there's a lot of issues with like collision detection and such, like where you're climbing on stuff and you can see like the collision mesh doesn't like align at all with what the world geometry is. So you're just like climbing on air. Uh, and the whole thing just feels really unpolished. But again, small team, early access, early access you know, like I don't know. Nobody should expect like triple A polish here. But uh, so, you know, so that's weird. I I can't speak to how they made it anymore. We're still everybody's trying to figure that out still. But I will say that I it is kind of cool that a small studio can kind of come out of nowhere and play with the big boys like this. Oh, and I, I respect yeah. that. Oh, that's and cool I, as heck. I feel yeah. I'm, ha- I I'm happy for those guys in that regard, right? Like, this is not... This was clearly not one of those designed by committee kind of things. Like, these guys wanted to make this thing, uh, and they did, and it turned out to be successful. And it is kind of the pipe dream thing. I think any indie would love to have this kind of success. It's very, 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 very rare, but when it does happen, it's like, you know, winning the lottery. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So good for that. Uh, I, I was curious what you think. Um, so obviously uh, part of the controversy about this, even though it's being celebrated widely, is also the fact that it is using designs that evoke extremely what we've seen in Pokemon for the last 20 plus years. I was curious, what, like, where do you draw all of you, the line between like homage, doom clone, <sighs> Uh, you know, like, cause it's not the first time we've seen this in the video game industry in popular releases or, um, I don't know. I'm curious what you all think about, like, how much can you actually crib off of another game's visual style? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting. Cause we got a supporter question here from 1040 STF. Well, it's actually got two. The first one was power world. That's it. That's the question. <laughs> But the actual question is, there's a whole debate on social medias and in the news about, since a few days, uh, about the thin line between a game copying other ones and a game getting inspired by other ones. On what side do you think Power World sits? Well, it sounds to me, John, like it's like just a grab bag of ideas from other games, which happens to include 111 beasts that have certain similarities to uh, Pokemon. (laughs) Yeah, and... This is a- this is the thing, right? I mean, obviously, I've seen a lot of discourse online and a lot of comparisons and mesh head to heads yep. and whatnot, which 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 do look pretty sort of damning. But on the other side, this is the sort of thing where to make any kind of definitive statement, you actually should have the first hand knowledge of it, right. and you know, it's it's difficult to actually you know call it a rip off right now unless you're sort of 
from our perspective, personally qualified to actually make that distinction. 100%. Yeah. So, I, yeah, exactly. I'm with you. I would not, I'm not willing to make a call on this anymore. Like, I, there was points in this discussion where, like, oh, this, this evidence seems to be convincing, but then you'd see something else that suggests otherwise. So, after this week, I've decided, you know what, I'm going to hold off on any additional, like, thoughts in terms of the origins of it, how it was made, because frankly, I just don't know. We don't know enough yet. And I don't yeah. know if we'll ever know. And it's tough to say. So, um, yeah. that's not really our battle, I suppose. I hope that they didn't actually rip anything off. I can't say one way or the other, but there's no doubt that there's a pretty striking similarity to many of the designs. I mean, the best yeah. evidence I saw was like, there was stuff where they pulled out the bone structure and the way the bone structure lines up with the different creatures is it's definitely eyebrow raising. You're like, mm, uh, and it's pretty clear that whoever made these creatures was a very big fan of Pokemon. I don't find that so bad on a little level because, so for example, like I know when first person shooters are being made, mm -hmm. some people literally import quake models oh, sure. and, and quake, uh, like movement code to get like a good feeling at first for like enemy yeah, size yeah. and placement on our own levels. Um, like one of your favorite games from last year, John. Bomber Cyberpunk. Bomb Rush. It's extremely Jet Set Radio. Yeah, to the point where like it looks like a sequel to the game. It does. <laughs> it looks like a sequel to the game. Which was this, the entire purpose, of course. Yes. Which is, yeah. The, so there's the phrase like love letter. And that, as a Exactly. Fan. I thought about and, that with that um, game too. And, you know, like the you, it's so wishy-washy. And for me, if it was another big company, like if Epic made a game that was Pokemon, I would be like, this is pretty distasteful. Um, but since they're such a small little kind of no-name 26-person studio, like, I don't know. I don't feel so bad about the designs being, as I said earlier, cribbed. Uh, I think from, there's two from, sides from, to quote, that coin. There's the personal yeah. opinion on what you personally find okay, and then there's the, the legal yeah. matter. And none of us can really speak to the legal side of things and whether no. any of this is actually an issue. Uh, we can just share our opinions on what bothers us personally, which is going to vary from person to person. And yeah. I... Mm -hmm. I don't want artists to be ripped off. I think that sucks. But it's also... It's really hard to determine just i i can i struggle with drawing that line as well so well there, there are processes processes i mean we've got this story here from uh video games chronicle saying the pokemon company uh is investigating quote unquote investigating mm -hmm. power world this question from uh, daniel schaefer who wants to make a betting pool on how quickly nintendo will take down power world i've got five pokemon dollars on within the month uh, again, this is all stuff that, you know, there, there are processes and, you know, that will happen and we'll see what, what the outcome is. Um, Nexus mods um, are kind of like oh. on red alert for Pokemon mods, mm -hmm. which would just basically put Pokemon in the game. Which already happened. And <laughs> which already happened. And, you know, let's not go down there. I've got this 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 question here from some guy person. I mean, it, let's just, you know, remind people here that, you know, basically the beginning of the week john you sat down played the game for 55 minutes did a running commentary of of what happened and then you put it online for supporters and uh, yep. this question from some guy person uh, regarding john's john versus power video i have to ask a question 
Does John normally just punch all the friendly NPCs just to see what happens? Is it in John's nature to ignore what the big box of text in the house tells him to do? Yes. Or is all this connected to John not liking games in this genre? Is John uh, the Darth Vader to Rich's Palpatine? Actually, yeah, it's, it's the last point. <laughs> no, yeah. actually, uh, the thing is, is it would say things in the, in the menu box and it's just like, it doesn't exactly say like oh yeah go to this is the key you press when you're playing a pc game like this and it's just like go to this thing uh i don't know so it's but yeah i i was not i was not admittedly just having a laugh trying to poke i did enjoy uh, there was a there was a point another supporter made on your video about how you uh criticized the texture quality and you'd left the textures (laughs) on like media no it was on high it was high it was on it was, high. That, not that high was the high preset. It was the ultra preset <laughs> is what it was. Right. And I guess it just put the textures at high. I need to see but if it... For some reason. But I need to see if it actually goes above high. Okay. I'm not sure. But I actually didn't even note... Like, I, I was just... Because it was the first content. Well, this is the thing, right? I mean, this is the difference between doing, like, just a, a video where you just sit about playing a game for 55 minutes versus a piece of df content Correct. that requires a certain degree of due there's diligence. a difference that is why it is just a patreon video because it, it, it was literally just first impressions first time ever playing the game and that yeah i actually had so much fun doing it though that i feel like i'm going to do this more often just to like play random stuff like this and just record my stream of consciousness thoughts uh as it goes because uh it's pretty funny and it also lets mm-hmm. you kind of just like unleash a little bit and have fun you know don't have to worry about censoring any curse words or anything. <laughs> just uh, get in there and, and have a good old time rolling uh, the pokemon yeah. down the stairs seeing how far they go you also don't need to worry about uh people on twitter getting outraged oh, oh my yeah, God. yeah yeah exactly exactly <laughs> that's that's mm-hmm. also good so this was a very refreshing video to make without any uh didn't need to be cautious with anything just have fun and i did have some fun in the end and it just with the whole ridiculousness the only time i didn't like it was when it when the sun sets and i really hate those mechanics with and that's part of survival games with the staying warm and uh everything super yeah. like it just i it's i find it stupid but i for me for me not to knock the game itself like that's, yeah. that's part of i know that's, that's part of the, the entire genre For me, though it's yeah. like uh, i don't want to do that that's just yeah. let me skip that but yeah <laughs> but considering i don't like survival games i had more fun with this than usual i'll admit okay so is it like two arcs duct taped together <laughs> yeah or? yeah it's like two arcs duct taped together with a with a pokemon stapled to the side basically <laughs> is how Same. i feel it you know okay mm-hmm. so it's uh well, yeah I'm still not quite sure why it sold 6 million copies, but, you know, fair enough. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I love this kind of element of unpredictability in the games marketplace where something like this could happen I know, and nobody really understands why. I mean... Okay, this actually gets to the one, the one negative side to this. When, when this type of success happens, and I hate when this happens, and I get why it happens, you start to see there's going to be people that are now like, oh, we need to pitch these projects, right? They're going to go back and spend two to three years working on this type of game and it's going to come out and most of them are going to fail uh, and their order not going to be good and they're not they're going to just miss what made this popular. I mean, survival games, nothing new, but I feel like there's going to be at least, there's got to be some people that are looking at this and saying, how can we leverage that in our game? 
and I think that's a bad idea that just doesn't usually work. Like we're we're on the cusp of uh, Suicide Squad coming out, which is a game that is kind of built on, you know, the once popularity of a certain type of game, the the Destiny style game. That's not going well right now, and uh, we don't know. Yeah, not even for Destiny. Not even for Destiny, yeah. and I don't know what's going to happen with that game. I don't know if it's going to be good or bad. I can't say that yet. We don't know, but uh, I do. F- it's a weird situation. That's especially in this this current day market with the way things are going. You look mm. at that, and you're just like, oh man, they. It's a shame that they put all their eggs into this like uh, flash in the pan sort of like concept. We already saw the cautionary tale of stuff like Avengers and many others. So I don't I don't want to see more power world knockoffs <laughs> and also i don't I, I think the pokemon company or game free can learn some things maybe about what people want but i don't think pokemon necessarily needs to become a survival game either even if there are some elements here that maybe people would want in pokemon it just feels like that would not be that would be a weird direction to go Mm. Okay, fair enough. Well, it's currently available on Steam Early Access. It's also on Games Pass, I believe. That's how I played it. Uh, which is that? And the PC version okay. was missing stuff on the Games Pass version. Uh, like DLSS was grayed out, not available on Game Pass, but it was in the Steam version as one you example. You know, I've heard that about a few games. Seems, That's a common thing. That seems to be happening actually. more and more, and I'm not really sure why. Well, I think we'll need to look into that because some people are getting quite upset about that. And I think uh, quite rightly rightfully so. Rightfully so, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, Man. the only other thing now is that it's you know there are talk there is talk that it might eventually come onto PlayStation, but uh, it's early days at the moment. I think that's all we really got to say about Power World at the moment. Um, well, Rich, do you think yeah, it's, it's going quite... to come to Switch? Um, <laughs> I find the possibility uninteresting. Maybe Switch. Yeah, this this Maybe the next Switch. <laughs> Maybe the next Switch. Yeah, and, uh, you know, sort of relying on uh, whether the game is actually IP-friendly. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Mm. Okay, fair enough. Uh, with that, let's move on to the next news topic. Okay, so um, we were initially going to talk about this, and indeed we did talk about this a few weeks ago, but we decided to remove the discussion in the end. It's all about Capcom's um, addition of Enigma DRM, to existing games in its in its lineup, right? So they're basically, seemingly, whenever a game gets a title update, um, they go back and they add in, retrospectively, new DRM. And in the case of this week's release, it was Monster Hunter Rise, which seemingly um, had Denuvo removed and Enigma added, which sounds a bit like a sort of business decision, really. Possibly one is cheaper than the other. The upshot of that was that similar to other sort of things we've seen in in these scenarios, uh, Steam Deck stopped working. Then it was updated with a fix that, you know, basically made everything well again. Um, I don't really have too many issues with the concept um, of... This is tricky. (laughs) Actually, I do have issues because the concept of like this really old game, I guess Monster Hunter Rise isn't really that old, but Certainly there are other titles in the lineup where this has happened. Uh, the one that kicked it off was Resident Evil uh, Revelations, Revelations, I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, where basically a game that has, you know, 
it's crested. It's now just a sort of library title. It's not going to be making huge amounts of money anymore. The concept that the publisher is going back and retroactively adding DRM uh, just sort of seems at odds with what should really happen, ideally. I mean, obviously, these guys have got entirely the, you know, the right to protect their inter- in, you know, intellectual property. But it's it isn't sort of sitting well with with these older library titles where we kind of need DRM removed, if anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a tricky one, Alex. So where do you sit on this? Uh, I've got two perspectives. One is that, like you, I don't feel like there's any real need to do this. And this is just kind of like, even if it doesn't have any um, large scale effect on the users, you know, like... I don't know, like the Steam Deck networking thing, If as long as it works after like one day, I guess that's reasonable. Um, is, you know, so if it's not affecting things, but I think we should just never having, have DRM added to games over time uh, that released with different DRM or no DRM at all. Um, and one thing that I think that this is going to be more actually i think there should be a valve issue here where valve should allow users to um arbitrarily choose which build of a game they download ever since they bought it as long as it's not like a multiplayer live service title or something like that because they have on their steam depot they've got every single build that's been uploaded ever since the game was put on steam um but they should allow the user just like gog does to elect out of a certain build of the game and i think that would i think that should be kind of like as part of the end user license agreement when you buy a game on steam uh so that people can actually avoid the drm copy of a game that's been added or in the case of older titles uh sometimes older versions of the game work on certain hardware that newer game versions don't uh because they've been updated and I, I think this is something actually that Valve needs to look into uh, as some sort of new way to uh, uh, allow for version control on Steam from the user perspective. Because it's currently not there other than elective beta branches that developers make available for people. Uh, but I actually think it should be fully in the hands of the user, especially in a case like this where when you bought that title, there's no way you thought like, yeah, I'm buying it because it has DRM. Um <laughs> that's something the developer added after the fact and you may not agree with that as a user and i think to protect the user a little bit it would be great to be make it elective but wouldn't the user simply be choosing between de novo and enigma in this case in this case yes uh but it would also give us awesome tools to say okay is one affecting the performance more than the other is one affecting the performance at all uh if you have a baseline you can actually say what the difference is without having to go through a legal means to figure out what a baseline is. Yeah. Um, so I, I think this is all fine and dandy actually for any use case, even if it's not the one where they add DRM after the fact. Yeah, the first time we discussed this and we actually didn't end up running it, it was basically hot on the heels of the revelations debacle where there was all manner of accusations flying about like, you know, how Capcom has got like a war on modding, the game can't <laughs> be moddable anymore, this sort of thing. And it actually turns out with with this, uh, certainly with Monster Hunter, but I believe the other ones as well, that it's, you know, similar to other DRMs, something that modders have to deal with, but it doesn't actually seem that onerous um, in uh, in the sort of eventuality. And it certainly seemed the case it's not a huge impact on whatever's happening mod-wise with Monster Hunter Rise. It's just the concept, really, that um, uh, there's no sort of, uh, you know, program to 
remove DRM as opposed to, you know, I guess still at the same time, Capcom's well within its rights to protect its property. That's the weird thing I've got going on here. There's the stuff that should seem right and the stuff that, you know, is uh, right from a commercial perspective. John, do you have any thoughts on this one? I mean, I just think <laughs> after a certain amount of time has passed, I feel like, especially if like Denuvo has these fees and such associated with long-term protection, that they should uh, maybe just remove the DRM at a certain point, you know? Like just mm-hmm. get rid of it. I I know yeah. I know no company's gonna want to make that choice, but come on now. Well, some companies do. They so do that's, remove. That's the a DRM good point. Do paternal, right? Yeah, yeah, they yeah. Had yeah, yeah. And they removed I, it. I, I did they? I believe that's, pretty, that's, so, that's what great. I recall. Maybe I'm wrong. But either but that's either way, that, that's kind of the path I would like to see more about. Which that would contribute to preservation of these games is having DRM free versions out there, right? Once mm-hmm. once the most of the sales of past and i think i don't think it would actually necessarily result in a giant rise in piracy either i mean these games will continue to exist on platforms such as steam you know when sales come up people are going to buy them anyway they'd probably rather have official versions in steam to begin with right yeah so i guess fundamentally why why are the publishers using this drm and primarily it's when a hot new game comes out it's to protect the massive income of revenue that's going to cover the game's development cost right which makes sense further on yeah absolutely but further on you know when you're in the long tail so to speak the games are typically a lot cheaper and um you know i don't really Mm. see the the sort of commercial imperative at that point to to keep the drm in if it is having a detrimental effect to the game. That's the other thing. Um, you know, De Nuvo, Enigma, it's really difficult to actually ascertain what impact it is having at the game on the game right. uh, at mm-hmm. any given right. point. It's certainly an additive thing that, you know, can't be making the game run any faster. No. <laughs> uh, I guess the one thing about adding old DRM that's also a bit in, uh, of a bad thing, even if it affects no one who currently buys the game who just is playing the game on a casual perspective, is that legacy mods that are just, the mod author just doesn't want to touch the mod anymore. If every every single time you update like a decade-old game, you break legacy modding um, yep. to a certain degree. And if it's just arbitrarily updated to add in DRM on top of that, you're breaking legacy mods that will maybe never be touched again by the mod authors, so they'll never be uh, accessible again because the only way to access the game uh, is via Steam, for example, or some downloadable service where you don't actually have the old version available anymore unless it's probably been pirated or copied at some point. Um, mm. So I, mean- so I, I would just like... There's just just don't out of the blue update old games with DRM is all I want to say. <laughs> yep. I think this uh, might add complications for stuff like Steam Deck in the future, where you know the DRM could be causing issues with a future device that just hasn't been created yet. Right. Yep. Star Force, John. Right. Oh God, yeah, freaking Star Force. Like, I think it may have already may have been cracked at some point, but for like a decade. Uh, there was a specific version of Trackmania that I owned, Trackmania Sunrise, which I always I liked that specific version of Trackmania, but the Star Force included in that only worked on Windows XP, and it was it was a nasty piece of DRM. Like Star Force was the worst, and that version, at least up until maybe recently, I can't remember, uh, it was never cracked, which meant you just could not play the game on a modern PC at all, uh, which I found unacceptable because I actually mm-hmm. you know that was one of 
I own a lot of physical PC games still, uh, a lot of classic ones. And that was like the only one in my entire collection that just was not playable despite having the disc. It was not possible to play that game and that sucks. Mm-hmm. So that that kind of stuff, it's no good. That, that DRM stuff, man. <laughs> I'm not a fan. Fair enough. I don't think there's too much more nope. we can add to this, but it is what it is, right? It's a bit yep, unfortunate, yep, yep. but... There we go. Okay, let's move on to the next news topic. Okay, so we actually got a preview of this way back in August at Gamescom. Oh, yeah. um, AMD has now finally made official its first driver that supports uh, AMD Fluid Motion Frames, which is essentially um, at the top level a frame generation technology that should work with practically any DX11, DX12 game. Uh, we haven't really paid too much attention to it through its preview period, but it is now official. And Alex, you have taken a look at it. Um, right. Thoughts? I would say the first impression is, uh, well, I was a little confused at first because I actually wanted to try it out in a title that it wasn't going to easily support, unfortunately. And I <laughs> it took a little bit of learning to figure out like where I can apply it. And I think that's reasonable, though, uh, because it is essentially a driver hack to get a form of frame generation in a game and not every driver hack works for every game out there every use case that's why they're cool drivers you know it's a part of the pc mentality it's totally fine um but then when i did get it working i actually just loaded up a title where i knew it would work and i loaded up cyberpunk um and there it, it has a couple of caveats to get it working and also a little bit of caveats about quality that i'll get into in a second uh, but basically to have it work you need to have the game be one dx11 or dx12 it needs to be running in f- uh, full screen mode it didn't seem to work in uh windowed mode and it um also requires you to turn off vsync so this means if you're playing on a fixed refresh rate display which i don't think many people will always be doing that or if you have a fixed refresh rate use case that you want to do for a game you really can't use this but it does work with vsync off so you can have full screen tearing which i don't think many people are going to be playing with but it works perfectly fine on a vrr monitor um uh, but because you have vsync off uh if the game is going to be going above your refresh rate due to afmf as i'm going to call it uh, for example, like you have a 120 hertz monitor and your game's running at like 80 FPS or so when you turn on AFMF, that means it's going to be run- rendering at actually like 160 frames per second and it would be going above your refresh rate. So you'd be seeing full screen tearing. Yep. So to get rid of that, what you'd want to do is implement a, uh, a cap on FPS. Uh, and the way it works is it seems to work on the internal FPS value. So I used RTSS and I kept it to like 30, for example, and the game is 30 internally and it's being AFMF up <laughs> to 60 uh, in a 120 hertz container. So you want to essentially use frame caps to make sure that the game cannot go above your refresh rate. So a 60 FPS frame cap at 120 hertz or, you know, whatever the divi- the half right. division is to make mm-hmm. it work fine without getting any of that full screen tearing. Good stuff. You get in game. Uh, it looks pretty good, I think, actually, in the initial impression. It's kind of like what we kind of felt at, at Gamescom, I would say, too, where just, you know, nothing too special. Like, you just move the mouse a little bit. You see it works. Uh, things coming towards you and, you know, parallaxing with the camera, whatever type of game you're playing. They look fine. I thought the mouse actually looked pretty fine, the mouse cursor in most games. Uh you know, nothing too egregious there. Um, this is where some of the caveats come in because 
it is just a post process. Uh, it is doesn't have access to the motion vectors of a game, so it's going to be more akin to what you'd see from a television doing That's what I thought, motion based smoothing. On the, footage. the difference, though, is that, and this you'll have to attest to this, is that when enabling motion smoothing on a television, you incur a massive input latency hit right usually it's like yes. 80 milliseconds or something additional okay. something like that it's it's bad it shouldn't um, be that bad on pc that's what i'm asking no it was nowhere near that bad so, it did not exactly. the mouse feel felt i thought it felt fine so that's I that's the not, key then so even though this yeah. seems to produce results similar to motion smoothing on a tv uh the fact that it's actually responsive means that it can actually be usable yes mm -hmm. it is very usable i felt that it was fine uh, I was playing on a 120 hertz screen. I did not feel anything that I thought was really bad. Um, uh, but be, like once again, because it is a um, uh, post-process, uh, they only have so much control about when it's on and when it's off. And uh, it's limited by how good it can reproject information from a previous frame. So they have like little stop. They have like a like an automatic stopping system built into the driver where it, it'll turn off AMF, AF, MF. AF, AF motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, AF, AF, MF. In those moments when there's too big of a difference between one frame and the next frame. So it will turn off on camera cuts. Uh, it will turn off as well when the camera swings wildly. And I found with a mouse, you could get it to turn off really, really easily in a first person game. It turned off really, really easy. And I'm gonna send footage to Oliver. When you move like in little tiny circles, it looks like a fluid experience. And here I was playing with like 7900 XTX with like path racing on. So we know that it internally is not like 60 FPS. And then I started moving in larger circles and it was turning off and it looked like half the frame rate. It almost gave the visual appearance of a game being double buffered V-Sync. So that's a bit awkward looking, I would say. So I'd say uh, if you're playing a game like this, uh, already have the frame rate really, really high so that the double buffering effect when it occurs, it is less obvious and honestly i think a lot of mouse users may not like the look when that occurs but i think it will only really happen most of the time for mouse users i think actually uh the parallax movement that you can actually do with a controller might fit within this window perfectly fine uh of when afmf turns on and off so controller users actually afmf is like pretty great i would say um and i, I have it on and off here in uh, cyberpunk and some footage that you're seeing you know on the screen that i also sent to oliver here and i think like for this like forward and backwards movement of the car just going along on its way it, it, it i think it's convincing enough i think it looks smoother and that's good and i think persistence blur was subjectively lower when i was looking at them like side by side and another interesting thing is that in this footage, you can see whenever the car turns the corner on the right-hand side, the camera does a, a larger swing. And in those moments, the, the frame rate looks lower. It looks at half because AFMF turns off. So that'll give you a sense of like what type of movements turn off AMFF. It's not just your mouse. It's all about whatever the difference is on screen. Mm. I mean, I wonder whether the user should have the option to be able to disable that. Right. I would really like that, actually. Um, I think the reason why they don't have that is because uh, maybe the the issue with cutscenes, cameras, and also because I saw what it looked like uh, 
in the few frames before, if, if you step the video and you watch what the camera looks like, the motion before AFMF turns off, it starts ghosting actually right. in, a, in a larger way. You see double framing effect. And I think if over a large arc of movement, the double frame effect may actually be more distracting to some users. They might not prefer it. But I think the option, like Rich is saying, uh, would be great. AFMF, it could be called like, I don't know, a sub option in the menu when you turn on AFMF. I don't know what they would call it, but something to make it that it's always on regardless of movement. Mm -hmm. What's mm -hmm. the HUD situation like? Because that's obviously a, oh, a bit of an issue. It's 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 an interpolated HUD. It's it's everything's interpolated, including uh, if you have something like Rivertuner Statistics Server on, that'll oh, be interpolated fun. too. Um, so. I mean, but that's a static thing. <laughs> so it's not too bad. It's not moving right, across right. the screen. But, um, you know, like, you, get, you just got to be a little bit careful there. Okay. Fair mm -hmm. enough. I mean, it looks quite... I'm looking at your cyberpunk footage here. This is a kind of like what I would suggest is almost a best-case scenario for frame generation in that most of the movement is, like, going forward into the scene. It's really the lateral, left-right harsh movements where it would most likely have issues. And there's right. only a few of those in the clip. But um, I think the biggest issue I had going back to Gamescom when we first saw the technology, they were using The Last of Us Part 1. Um, the, the big issue we had at the time was the whole V-Sync off scenario where, you know, if it goes out of your VRR window on your FreeSync or G-Sync display, you'll get full screen tearing. And that looks pretty fugly. But um, <laughs> it sounds like you have, a, you have a scenario that basically eliminates that. So it is, you know, it is tear free effectively. Yeah, you can make it tear-free effectively within your range uh, using it, the cap. Uh, but still, I would prefer, um, like, I don't know. They they have anti-lag working with it right now. I don't know what's going to happen with anti-lag plus, but I would love the, the reflex equivalent on the AMD side. Um, right. Like where it's also like a dynamic refresh rate. So cause some, if you have a 240 hertz monitor, uh, it would be great to limit the amount of input latency that it's adding through something like Reflex. But that's right now. We'll see whatever AMD is doing in the future. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. So is this the frame generation technique that is a component of FSR3? Um, right. But, but not the full thing, so to speak. Yeah, it's it has, lacks any of the logic to decide about like what an object is and how it's moving uh, like in real world game terms with a with a motion vector. So it's all post-process. Um, as a result, I mean, it'll be a lot more artifact ridden than FSR 3 and a lot more than DLSS 3. Um, but I think for a lot of things, it's going to be fine. One awkward thing that I did not try out is what happens in game. It's, it's going to turn off at times uh, when you really don't expect it. I think yeah. versus a normal, for example, I'm pretty sure like a large muzzle flash is going to turn it off if it's large enough on screen, uh, because it's all based upon the differential between the previous frames I've realized. So it could look a little awkward in certain genre, but I think for a racing game, <laughs> it actually is like perfect. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, we got this uh, supporter question from Dajar Ko. Uh, this week saw the release of AMD's fluid motion frames, AFMF. Uh, it, it's like a combination of two acronyms. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> uh, which as far as I understand it, as frame inter interpolation at the DirectX API level, meaning that it can be utilized without developers adding native support to their titles. Could something similar be done with SteamOS? How is it likely 
to differ from native FSR3 support. I guess they, you know, anybody, anybody could, could do this really. NVIDIA could do it for sure. Yeah. It's, it's just a question of whether they want to. Anyone can do it. In fact, there is a program on Steam called Loss of Scaling, which is added in the equivalent of motion interpolation. Uh, and it does it probably in an extremely similar way to the way the AMD driver does it, but it doesn't have a turn off, like an automatic turn off thing. Um, I haven't played with it yet, but I hear reports that it looks much like motion interpolation does elsewhere. And I would love to see SteamOS add an OS level OAFMF. Um, one little caveat that I briefly said at the beginning of this video is I tried it, for example, with a game. I'm going to send this footage to Oliver too. Dark Souls 3. One, one funny thing about Dark Souls 3 is nowadays it crashes if you put it to full screen mode, so it wouldn't work anyway. <laughs> what? Even if I wanted. Yeah, Dark Souls 3, man, it's just full on crashes to desktop if I put it in full screen mode. I cannot say. And I Google it. This is an issue that a lot of people have. Um, I don't know what's causing it. But uh, uh, even then, it wouldn't work in a game like Dark Souls 3. It wouldn't work in a game like Sekiro. It wouldn't work in any game that starts up uh, and its refresh rate is the same as the max frame rate the game can have. So it would be great to apply motion interpolation to a game like Dark Souls 3 because uh, it's locked to 60 FPS. And if the game is unlocked to above 60 FPS on like a high refresh rate monitor or something like that, technically, then it um, is fast motion. Oh. It's a game that was designed around 60 FPS. So you need to have a game that is if you want to apply it to a game that has a locked frame rate internally, like older games have, it needs to also be a game that outputs to your maximum refresh rate in a full screen mode. I don't know how many games do that. There's probably a list on PC Gaming Wiki, but not every game starts up on your desktop hertz level. Mm. You know, so that's another most, thing. Most do, though, to be fair. Some Dark Souls doesn't, Sekiro doesn't. There's, there's a surprising number of them when you look through the, the games. The thing is, though, Alex, if you could run those games at a locked 60 frames per second, do you really think a fluid motion version of that would, would genuinely be a better experience? Especially knowing mm. that anytime something fast happens, which it does in those games, it'll just look <laughs> like you're dropping frames, uh, like a double buffer thing. <laughs> to me, that sounds worse. I'd rather just have consistency. It could be like worse. Actual yeah, consistency. consistency. There's a couple of scenarios here. First of all, um, you know, it only works with VSync off at the moment, which you wouldn't, and which kind of infers that you really need a VRR display to get the to get right. the benefit, which you wouldn't have on Steam Deck, uh, unfortunately. Um, True. And you, the concept of a game that runs at th uh, natively at thirty, running at sixty, probably wouldn't be that great. But that said, forty-five going up to ninety for the Steam Deck OLED, slightly more compelling, possibly. Very compelling, I would argue. Mm. I just think they need to make it more configurable. Like, I don't like the double buffered look that I saw when it did go, when it turned off. Uh, I would probably rather live with the artifacts on the, the, the larger movement spans. So, yeah, um, add more configurability to this AMD. I think it's a it's a nice niche use thing, use case thing that people can get from the AMD driver. Yeah. Okay. Okay, with that, I think we're done with uh, AMD fluid motion frames for now. But I just wanted to end um, by picking up some unfinished business from DF Direct Weekly 146, where, John, you unfairly impugned the power of the Radeon 7. <laughs> That's right, yes. Uh, I, I, I searched for it on YouTube and came up with that in the description. With Vega 7, and then I scrolled like up to a... the thing to share the link, and it's like, oh, wait, it actually, the, the description was wrong, basically. 
and I got owned um, by Rich, which I feel like that would make a pretty good sticker and or T-shirt. Owned by Rich? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I went into this direct wanting to actually uh, exhibit the full oh, unleashed power of the on 7. We saw and, the images. Um, I was excited. I was excited as well, except my Radeon 7, as uh, is kind of, you can see it just in the background there, it doesn't work anymore. I, I, I powered it up, the, the red light comes on. I'm reminded of uh, that lovely aluminium. Uh, yeah, I love. I actually there. do love the design, yeah. It's a really good looking design, actually. Uh, but my, my GPU doesn't work anymore. I was shocked. Uh, you can see that I've also got like another GPU yet next to it. And what I was trying to do was to figure out whether if I boot the machine with one GPU, whether the right. second one, whether the Radeon is actually visible at all in Windows, and it's not. Oh, so um, I'm going to have to uh, get this one fixed or uh, get another Radeon Seven because this is unfinished business that yeah, cannot yeah, yeah. be allowed to stand. <laughs> exactly, we need we need to know the truth. Exactly. How well does it run? Uh, I mean, I mean you know, us. sixteen gigs of memory. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Oh my goodness. Hashtag facts are facts. That's right. Uh, anyway, um, yes, yeah, so unfinished business there, but maybe we'll finish it at some point. Do you still have a Fury X, fighting. though? That's the real question. I do have a Fury oh, X. So I hope that one works. I better. Uh, <laughs> but, you know. Someday, I'm, I'm I, someday less, I want a Fury X and like I want to put it under glass, like in the hallway. I'm less inclined to, uh, <laughs> to, to go to bat for the Fury X, though. Let's put it that way. Yes. Radio 7, I'm, I'm intrigued. Yes. I think it's got legs. Anyway, that's that. Let's move on to our next news topic. Okay, so last week we talked about the reveal of uh, Horizon Forbidden West and its Burning Shores DLC coming to PC, Nixis at the con. Very exciting stuff. Um, this week we actually got a trailer which confirmed some features, and Alex is going to tell you all about it. Yes. So, yeah, thank you, Rich, for the handoff. Uh, we got DLSS, we've got DLAA, we've got XESS and FSR. Two, I believe, is actually in the press release. They don't say if they have FSR three frame gen. No. Uh, it was not explicit. I would hope it is though, because Nixie's, you know, they add almost any kind of PC exclusive tech to a game uh, that they can when they've been doing these ports. So I hope it's in there. Uh, maybe that's going to be at a separate press release time in the future. I have no idea why. Because they still have to say some other things. They still have to say, for example, what recommended and minimum specs looks like. And usually their recommended minimum specs are good, actually, for describing at least a general experience of play. Yeah. Um, but the other interesting little information here is that they explicitly say that the game is going to support direct storage for fast loading. Um, unlike, let's say, Ratchet and Clank, which is was a game designed for PlayStation Five, uh, and was doing, I would say, more loading mid gameplay. That wasn't really a thing, was it, John? For Horizon What's Forbidden that, West, was it like mid mid game loading? Um, uh, because the only... it was also a PS4 game. Yeah, I think maybe it was just like a fast travel thing, kind of. But in general, maybe. I think it was you know it's it's an open world game, so if you're just playing it without that, you're pretty much seamlessly moving through that world. So, mm -hmm. and it, yeah, as you say, it did work on PS4, though it got there by massively reducing the amount of detail, bespoke detail in a scene, right? 
Like the PS5 machines right. had way more assets at any time on screen because obviously you could load all that. Whereas on PS4, they had to simplify what they were showing, I think, just to make it possible to fetch it from the hard drive fast enough while you're running around, no doubt. But so you, you think it was, uh, you think they were doing a lot of active swapping and gameplay on the PlayStation I 5 the, version? I think they had to be. Uh, hmm, interesting. That's. Because the world itself is like ultra mega dense, and there's just so many like unique areas within like a small spot, and it's just, especially once you get, um, you know, up in the air and everything, and start flying around, uh, it needs to oh. fetch that data quickly, right? And I, okay, I actually yeah. think though, with the yeah. new cloud sim and some of the other stuff in the in the DLC, that's probably why that didn't come to PS4 because they started to push it just a little bit too hard and. Uh, I mean, I, I think that's, that is part of the PC release, right? Like the, it's the complete version. It's the, yeah, they've got, right. So that's, um, burning shores. So burning shores uh, in there. That, that. that makes sense. But yeah. I, so, so I, I yeah. don't think it's going to be like a ratchet kind of situation in terms of pushing loading on the PC, but I'll be curious to see what, where the bottlenecks are. Like, what is this game pushing hardware wise, uh, memory wise, bandwidth wise, why you're actually playing. And we can kind of monitor some of that now. Thanks to the PC version. Yeah. I hope we get to do that. And I think we'll do that. I'll probably do like uh, flying. How long does it take to get to flying mount? Uh, I have no idea. You're not, oh, you're, yeah, you're, not get, you're not getting a flying mount. Let me just put it that way. Yeah. Like there's, yeah. Like from what I recall, it was, it was world near games, the end of man. the game when I almost finished Oh my gosh. It. So, yeah. It's not a short, okay. it's not a short game. Yeah. Unless they provide me with saves, there's no way that's happening for a review uh, time period. Um, so that's one thing to look at. Um, look at where the bottlenecks lie for different machines. Uh, another thing to look at is uh, reporting on Ratchet and Clank sh- and recently loading it up. Um, there were some frame time issues in that game, uh, and I'm and there's the reporting wasn't so great always, but uh, people are saying that disabling direct storage. Uh, was a great way to improve frame time, specifically on NVIDIA GPUs. Um, that's another thing I'm going to look at in this game, kind of myth bust a little bit about that, if it is using direct storage GPU decompression mm. in, a, in a meaningful way during gameplay, because that was one thing. Like, we saw direct storage being implemented in uh, Ratchet & Clank, but oddly enough, you could turn it off uh, by deleting files, and the game didn't run really that much differently. And it loaded maybe even faster uh, if you deleted things like a PSO file, which I did test. Um, Fantasy Star Online file. Excellent. Fantasy Star Online file. So it it's kind of interesting to talk about direct storage now because it was unveiled right when the Xbox was unveiled. And then they, you know, came coming to PC later. But at the moment, we've seen so little of it. And the, what we've gotten is basically from almost one developer, um, is in the full implementation. And it didn't cause heads to spin. Uh, <laughs> and it doesn't seem like it's some sort of like secret sauce at this point in time for anything. Uh, and I would love to hear what you all think about direct storage because currently I'm still like in the phase, I'm like, like, you know how, like, VRS is kind of, like, a not-so-interesting thing anymore? Variable rate <laughs> shading? How it's like, I'd rather have DLSS and have much better image quality. Yes. Okay. Um, well, it's all right? to prove, isn't it? I mean, here's the thing, right? I mean, um, uh, 
doing these tests by removing the direct storage DLLs, which basically forced Ratchet to use a fallback. That was the theory, right? That was the yeah. that was the testing methodology. And yet, you know, for reviewers doing that, they're falling back to like, you know, extremely high-end CPUs, which have mm-hmm. likely got the CPU overhead to do the decompression. And uh, so therefore the burden is removed from the GPU. And yeah, probably you would get better frame times, right? You know, that's the thing. Um, the question is like, you know, what happens on like a Steam Deck or, or ROG Ally or a mid-range PC, you know, with a less, cap- you know, like a six-core uh, lower clocked CPU. Possibly the GPU would be the better scenario there for for um, doing the decompression. It's kind of this is one scenario where you kind of wish that you know the bespoke hardware blocks from a console could be present on a PC because it mm-hmm. you know it just takes care of it in a it totally sort of separate card. area. Adding yeah. card, do it. Physics. <laughs> So yeah, that's a tricky one. I mean, you'd have to test across a whole range of uh, equipment levels there. Yeah, and maybe that's something to do in the future. Um, I'm thinking that, like in a year or two from now, I would love to do a DX12U, not post mortem, but like health check. And I would love to say, like uh, in the video, like how are mesh shaders doing? Are we actually seeing them in games? Are they bringing about new Alan levels Wake. of geometric density? Alan Wake, we got maybe VR, VRS. You're right, Alex, point, it's been you know? a bit of a blind alley, hasn't yeah, it? DRS. Yep. Hardware level VRS. Yeah, hardware level VRS has been, in my humble opinion, pretty disappointing. Um, yep. And I've never seen uh, an implementation that I actually like. <clears throat> for what it buys back it just doesn't well the it tech stuff even even, it was okay but even then like i remember comparing uh because it was turned on on xbox it was off on ps5 xbox had higher rendering resolution in that game as a result but in reality if you actually looked into any of the surfaces the xbox version was lacking detail it almost looked like you were looking at a video clip at times uh versus the other (laughs) version and that's the that's basically what what vrs does to it in general yeah, that's the hardware level stuff i was um on the amd side i was thinking more of the uh, uh wolfenstein yeah uh, implementation right. that was done with nvidia on pc where it, okay, and to yeah. be fair the vrs stuff that uh, the coalition did on gears 5 much better so I, I didn't go into detail on this in the video because i and maybe it's because i couldn't see that big of a difference or in performance but a uh, tekken 8 has vrs in the options menu which is right. interesting, but because that game yeah. is locked at 60 FPS, uh, I didn't find that much of a use for it, and it also seemed to have zero impact on Steam Deck in terms of performance. Right. So okay. uh, <laughs> I I had no yeah. I had no personal reason to use it, but yeah, it's VRS is an interesting one where we're like uh, in the few times where I've been able to toggle it on and off at a high resolution, the per- performance improvement has been so minuscule. Yep. Uh, uh, except for in those cases where a game has allowed you to toggle how much VRS degradation occurs and you can get like something like 15% performance improvement for a much, much worse looking game. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of not so happy with VRS as it currently is. I think um, the future there, there's just never been a good way to like get rid of the blocky VRS nature. And I always yep. thought that would be something that TAA could solve by reconstructing right. the block over time. But it, I just don't see it, it anywhere. It doesn't almost. seem to do that, does it? No, no one's Remember, done uh, it. Remember Dead Space? Uh, 
where right oh Dead my Space. Gosh, the Dead Space exact remake. Opposite. I mean, obviously the PS5 yeah. version had like software VRS, which was complete garbage tier, and I'm glad they removed it. <laughs> it but even the hardware bad. VRS, like on PC and such, like until they allowed you to turn that off, like image quality was destroyed basically. It was yeah, absolutely terrible because VRS especially does not behave well in those like low light environments with a lot of like granular, like near black detail. It just, it ends up, like I said before, it basically turns your real time game into looking more like a video stream. It suddenly mm, feels like you're, it like you're streaming the game rather than playing it locally. <laughs> yeah. The, the compression look isn't great. And that's why I feel like it should, its usage has just not been, no one's figured it out yet. I don't think in a really, really great way. I think um, I can name one. Are you thinking about IW? Yeah, the <laughs> Infinity Ward software solution, which basically works across all platforms. And um, I've seen the millisecond differentials at Infinity Ward's HQ, and it can be like really, really impactful to uh, to, to, to performance. Mm. And it is basically, um, you know, bespoke from the ground up. And it's it's really, right. really impressive, I thought. Yeah, that's a good Can point. I say? But that is not a hardware VRS solution that is, you know, that is being used on uh, the console or uh, yeah, the, rather the Series X and the Series S and in mm. RDNA 2 GPUs. Um, and it also applies to NVIDIA, right? They've got their right. own VRS uh, setup, which is different from AMD's. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a bit of a shame. We do have... Um... I was asked recently, it's interesting that you say that uh, Tekken has VRS because it was added to Unreal Engine 5. So Mm -hmm. I'm curious what version of Unreal Engine 5 they have. Um, It must be one of the most recent ones, actually. Actually, Um, that's a good point, yeah. um, Because I think it was added in 5.2 or later. Um, Interestingly, by the way, uh, and I need to fiddle with this, I think it's somewhat broken, but in the demo, there's this like... Uh, tool like this Tekken tool you can use, right? And one of the features they add is right. you can turn on Lumen in the game. Oh wow! But the game is not set up for it right now, right? So uh, the examples I saw, you turn it on and like parts of the background just go completely black, and and it you can see some things that it's doing, but like clearly it's not built for that, so it doesn't work properly. But it did give me hope that modders could eventually uh, get their hands on this and figure out how to inject proper. Lumen. Well, well, Tekken is in our next uh, news topic, so let's oh, let's, yeah. let's go to we it. We should just move on at this point. Yeah. Okay. So yes, Tekken Eight's out this week. John did the review for it. Pretty comprehensive look at all of the platforms, including PC, including the was it seventeen upscalers? The seventeen mm-hmm. upscaling options. Yeah. Astonishing. Uh, John, I mean, you wanted to talk yeah. more about Tekken in the direct. Uh, there's a lot to go through here. So um, yeah, man. I've had it. I mean, Tekken is a Tekken Eight is a gosh darn good Tekken game, and it's so good that I think it's like I haven't felt so strongly about a, a Tekken since like Tekken Five, maybe. It's 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 so full of of features, content, uh, the fighting system itself. It feels it's it's the cinematic style modern Tekken, but it feels so refined and just awesome to play. It's so smooth and just. Man, the way the attacks come out, the new characters are great as well. Everything about it, it just, this feels like something from Namco's heyday where it's its the full package. It's what you expected from the best Namco fighters. And I freaking love that. Uh, and it's pretty darn good on every platform as I reveal in the video, which is something worth noting. Uh, even on the Steam Deck, 
which gave me a little trouble initially because I had to use Proton GE, uh, I think due to its unreleased state, whereas the demo worked without that. But mm-hmm. uh, even even on the Steam Deck, man, you can get some really good results. But what I enjoyed about testing this for the video was that it's one of the first games I've played with that basically included every possible permutation of upscaling and anti-aliasing solutions that are used in modern games, right? So you've got uh, DLSS, FSR1, FSR2, XESS, all the different quality levels of those. Uh, you've got a bicubic upsampler, you get got NVIDIA Image Scaler, you've got TAAU and TSR in there. I think that's it. But then when you add up all the different variants, it comes up to like 17 or something like that. Plus, there's an image scaling slider and there's uh, the VRS option, which kind of separate. And then there's actually an anti-aliasing quality setting as well that controls the game's inherent like TAA. Although some of those other solutions take over the TAA duties, obviously. And what I found was interesting uh, in that... The one, the one that's missing, the only one that's missing, and I'm actually surprised with this, is there is no DLAA as an option, and I'm not sure why. But thankfully, there is a uh, solution to that, and that's TSR. Epic's TSR, which I've been pretty impressed with whenever it's shown up in games, but in this one especially, it is so darn good. Uh, first of all, TSR allows you to use the resolution scaler slider, so you can set it to 100% and get 4K internal rendering. That slider is disabled when using like DLSS or FSR2 uh, because it can, it's controlled by that. So you can set it to native 4K, as I did on the screen, um, and then turn on TSR, and it takes over anti-aliasing. And like, it's so crystal clear. Like, there's like almost zero blurring or ghosting artifacts anymore, and every other option does have the typical TAA ghosting to some degree, some worse than others. Uh, FSR 2 was especially egregious on some stages where it just kind of smears the detail. And then XESS had this thing where certain types of bright colored objects would show pretty serious ghosting, like worse than the other mm. implementations as well. So putting them side by side showed all that, but TSR was was remarkably clean and smooth without, it almost eliminates it entirely which looks great. And then I also discovered that TSR was actually performant enough to run the Steam Deck. Uh, and that ended up being the key to getting good image quality out of the Steam Deck. Because like Steam Deck at like 60 to 65% image scale uh, is what you need to get 60 FPS in that game. And if you use that with uh, T- TAAU, the Bicubic Upsampler, NIS, FSR2, or XESS, it either runs too slow or like FSR2 and, and TAAU, it just turns into this blurry, smeary, smeary, ugly mess because you're at 60, 65% of 720p. That's a very low resolution, right? And those <laughs> don't, don't work with it well. It looks bad. It looks really, really blurry and nasty, and there's disocclusion artifacts all over the place. Somehow TSR manages to overcome that. Even at like 60% scale, when playing on the Steam Deck screen, you really get this feeling that it's almost... Uh, it's clearly not native res, but it feels close enough to it where it's convincing to the eye and it ends up looking mm. really, really sharp in motion in a way that I didn't expect. So, and it didn't... Well, 67% of uh, 720p, or was it 65? 65. Mm-hmm. It was on increments of 5%. Okay, well, you're sort of sub 480p at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, which is, which is quite interesting. Super, super low and TSR handles it well. 
like shockingly so. It's, it's quite an interesting use case for um, uh, sort of reprojection quality analysis because basically, surely the whole sort of side-on view of those characters is 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 rife with disocclusion issues. See, and that's they're always in front. Fundamentally, of the that yeah. was the biggest problem with, and this is why. So the console versions seem to use like FSR one or maybe one of the other <laughs> spatial. That kind of makes sense, I guess. Combined now. with mm-hmm. a TAA, and I think I figured out why because their only other option, I think. TSR could have been used on consoles. I actually wonder what the performance impact would be. Uh, but FSR2 is a bad fit because with FSR2, I found it actually looks sharper when you're just standing there. But once you start moving, the moves come out so fast that you're constantly passing in front of scenery with just like a few frames. Uh, and that causes major disocclusion artifacts. So you, it basically looks like there's an aura around the character where the background is constantly getting distorted. Uh, yeah, which I, fizzling right? it's like and stuff, fizzling yeah. everywhere, and it's pretty bad. And so, uh, <sighs> which yeah. that is the problem with using most of those solutions. TA use the same on like the Steam Deck at that sub 480 resolution. It's it's just a mess of pixels. But the TSR option somehow manages to overcome that stuff even at low res. Pretty- Alex, has there been an upgrade to TSR in any way uh, with recent? That's what I'm wondering. Real engine. Five three uh, did handle. They they added, for example, like Alexa. Stop. Alexa. Alexa, Alexa get out of here, Alexa. Alex, Alexa Unreal Engine. Is, uh, <laughs> Alexa gets confused when I call by your name. Oh, Alex, Alexa. <laughs> yeah, why not? Um, uh, there there have been some upgrades from for speed on PC and consoles, as well as some like disocclusion handling stuff. Okay. Um, I'm pretty sure as of as of at least 5.3, and it may be going further in 5.4. So I'd actually like to know then what the current millisecond cost is for using TSR, because I feel like we've complained a lot about FSR2 in console games over the last year. Uh, and I'm wondering at some point if developers using Unreal Engine will be able to leverage TSR instead, which is actually what Epic used in their Matrix Awakens demo, if I recall. Right. So I feel like yeah. I feel like with the way TSR is going, that's going to be a much better solution for console games if they can fit it within their frame time budget. I think that might be the issue because didn't Alex? Didn't you talk to the developers of Immortal of a- right. Immortals of Avium Ascendant right. Studio about why they chose FSR to over TSR? And that was the reason they said it was performance-based, which maybe not the right The thing is, though, is like, who as I saw with this game, if you do like FSR 2 at 70% versus like uh, TSR at 60% scale, the TSR still looks better despite a much an even lower pixel count. So I feel like right. it's worth dropping your resolution even a little bit lower if you can use TSR, provided... I guess the issue with... Good. With FSR two though, is like the disocclusion handling is that almost no matter what it does, like if the, if there's disocclusion at yeah, any res scale, it'll still do the fizzle, fizzle. and the, stupid- the the fizzle the fizzle behind the disocclusion too also has like a like a like a blown out look to it. Yeah. Like it's not just like the internal because like TAAU usually just has like the original. It's like a like, pixelated looking version. Pixel. Yeah. Yeah. And it just doesn't look great. And I think it, it makes a lot of sense to me that it wouldn't work at all for virtual fighter. Oh, sorry. Virtual. Tekken. Sorry. <laughs> Tech brain. Brain's gone. I would love to do virtual fighter. Um, uh, yeah. Just doesn't work there. That makes sense. Yeah. So, okay. That's where we're at with that. But uh, also, this is Tekken launch day. Uh, today, I finally got to play online, which was not possible for me when I was testing it. They may have set up 
scheduled times, but I missed those windows. So it was fun to actually go online and see the little arcade that they built to run around. There's a lot mm -hmm. of neat attention to detail in there, but that's, I wanted to mention that though, because the arcade arena with all those people in there waiting to play Tekken and just exploring the frame rate does dip on the consoles I found. So mm -hmm. it doesn't dip while fighting, but and when you're running around that lobby, it sure does. Uh, and I'm actually not even sure that it's GPU or frame rate so much as like network lag. Cause it has this weird kind of jitteriness to it that made me think like, is this like network lag? Because hmm. uh, it kind of looks that way. And also if you get a bad connection on like I found that the net code feels very much hit or miss. Like if you're with somebody that has a good connection and you both do, the experience feels fantastic. But if you're with somebody with a slightly iffy connection, it's bad. It feels like really broken. And that seems to be kind of the one blemish on an otherwise like stunning game. It's just like the net code situation. You really need to make sure you're playing with somebody. If you're going to play online, uh, where the connect your connections are a good fit for one another. Otherwise, you're just gonna have a lot of that start stop jittery feel to it, oh, which no. is not cool. Uh, mm -hmm. But another thing I wanted to mention, and actually maybe we should get to the next topic to talk about this because it's all about input lag. Yes, John, why don't you take it away on this one? Input lag. You've been looking into it a lot, and uh, you've basically consulted who I consider to be the foremost expert on gaming input lag, Nigel Woodles. That's right. He is. Uh, Nigel Woodles, if you go find him on social media, maybe even in, in this video you see under the description, we could put a link to it. But he has been doing an exceptional amount of testing for input lag for years and has a whole system and software solution built to calculate input latency in games. And he, by doing that, he's also assembled a database, which he links to in his uh, X profile, where he's collected data that you can sort by different criteria for games across so many platforms. And I found this data super fascinating. And the first thing I wanted to mention actually is the Tekken series, because he determined that Tekken eight is the most responsive Tekken game in series history. Oh, wow. Now it's very, that when I say that though, some of the older games are actually very, 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 very similar, like within a millisecond of it, but Tekken eight, routinely came out faster than every Tekken game, which is cool. But some of those numbers. So if you look on the PS1, Tekken 1 and 2 were both a little bit over 58 milliseconds of input lag. So that's actually, that's fine. That's actually quite good and responsive. I was just surprised it was as even that high on a retro game. Uh, but as mm. I've seen from his list, you know, the, about the lowest you get on like some Super NES Genesis games is like around 24, 25 milliseconds. It seems to be the absolute basement by and large, mm -hmm. at least for V-Sync stuff, which most games are back then. Uh, but here's what's interesting. So Tekken 3 uh, goes up to 76 milliseconds. And then when you look at Tekken 4 on PS2, that's back down to 58-ish. And then Tekken 5 goes back up to 76. So Tekken 3 and 5, both of which push their respective systems to kind of the limits, it feels like they needed an extra frame in there for rendering or something. And it caused the input mm -hmm. lag to go up a little bit, which, uh, yeah, really interesting. And then when you get to the PS3 era, I was surprised that Tekken 5 Dark Resurrection and then Tekken 6 were both down into the 60s. 
uh, 66 milliseconds for Tekken six and 63 for Tekken five, uh, which, hmm. but I think it probably felt worse at the time because TVs during that era, like HD TV flat panels were mostly bad when it came to input latency. So you can probably tack on like a hundred milliseconds to that, which really puts in, uh, well, I'll talk about Killzone in a second, but that really puts Killzone 2 into perspective because it it has bad leg anyway, and then you couple that with TVs of 2009 era, and it was you're probably looking at like I could imagine like 250 to 280 milliseconds of of leg across the chain, right? Mm-hmm. But here's the thing that surprised me was uh when Tekken 7 first launched, the input leg was bad. It was over 120 milliseconds initially. Uh, and this was when they shifted to Unreal Engine 4. That's They actually patched it and got it down into the 70s, which is comparable with like Tekken 5 and 3. But when it first launched, it was bad. And he also has listed some tests of when he did it. Uh, he popped in Tekken 7 unpatched, I guess. I, I don't know how to... I don't understand this part of the data, but at the very bottom, he's got... Uh, results of 240 milliseconds of lag for Tekken 7 running on either the PS5 or on one of the new Xboxes. And this was, mm. oh, this was, okay, if I click on the link, it says patch 5 with raw input lag. So it seems like in some situations, Tekken can be upwards of like 240 milliseconds for some That's reason, which awful. is really weird. <laughs> but nuts. either way, with Tekken 8, uh, both PS5 and Xbox are around 58, but Xbox actually measured in at 57.87, so under 58 milliseconds. Oh, wow. And on the PC, if you play on a VRR screen without with V-Sync off, it gets down into the 40s, like the low 40s. So that's, that's like super, that that's does make super sense. responsive at that point. Yeah, I mean, we've done work with Nigel before. Actually, it's Nigel Woodall, not Woodalls. I was confused with his uh, X uh, Mm. handle, which is Noodles. Anyway, um, yeah, we've done some work with Nigel. I mean, I actually just pulled up the article that Tom did back in the day, which was uh, about Battlefield and Call of Duty input lag. This was going back to 2017, but the actual... uh, technique used for measuring input lag has kind of persisted to this day and yep. it's actually a really fascinating uh thing he's i mean nigel's got various techniques right, right. to hand <clears throat> but the um the technique which was discussed in the video is actually the one that tom used um based on nigel's equipment and basically what it does is convert hdmi to analog component and then when the button is pressed <laughs> um basically two components are disabled uh, meaning that the image that goes through to your screen or rather to the capture card, it, it presents as like a purple or green yeah, border. Bar. Yeah, bar that, that sort of crosses the screen. And, and then basically that is the moment when the button was pressed. And, you know, you can get sub frame accuracy yep, yep. here by seeing where the frame, where the bar is, you know, so f- further up is sort of, you know, further back in time further mm-hmm. down closer yep, um, yep. and then you count the number of frames until there is actually an animation point and this is a this is a remarkable way to test so input lag cool. because it it completely removes display latency from the equation if you're using a capture card yep and um yeah you get to see the exact point when the button was pre- pressed when previously we had stuff like um uh control on monitor boards where you'd use a high uh, a high-speed camera, yeah, yeah, and you know, basically the button press 
would, uh, yeah, if you've got this board, the button press would manifest as like a, a lit LED. Uh, mm-hmm. Otherwise, you can just sort of put the joypad into shot and you can kind of guess when the button was pressed or make an educated guess. But yeah, we've kind of moved on to the LED board in a high camera, in a high speed camera shot to what this is doing, which entirely removes a lot of which well, almost all I, doubt from the- I do think it's neat just for those that aren't that familiar with analog video uh, when Rich says component video because it's not really around anymore that much uh, that actually relies on three cables uh, and it's it's not actually red green and blue it's it's like uh, I forget it's YPRPD yeah, yeah YPRPD yeah. But when you cut out two of those cables, you're left with just one, right? So you're only getting yeah. some of the video to your screen, and that's the trick, basically. And it's super, super cool, I got to say. Yeah. I mean, I was actually going back and looking at Tom's article here because there is some fascinating stuff that's thrown up. He did do his Call of Duty versus um, Battlefield latency. And at the time, um, Call of Duty was coming in at about 72 to 77 milliseconds. Battlefield 3, which was a 30 FPS game, came in with 157 milliseconds of lag. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, but when Battlefield 4 came along, they'd got it down to 97 milliseconds, which is kind of pretty okay-ish for a 30 FPS game, but not great, obviously. But I think the other thing that came up from Tom's tests, and we've talked about this in the past, is just the immense variability in input lag of games which target the same frame rate. Yep. The best ones, you know, Call of Duty Infinite Warfare comes in at about 39.3 milliseconds um, versus Doom 2016, which is like 86.8. And, and uh, I think it's really interesting that, you know, we've got almost, a, you know, a 50 millisecond, 45 millisecond differential there. Actually, what, and the same another one I found interesting is, so I, obviously I went down the list to look at Killzone 2, and it's 100, yes. 128 milliseconds, at least in its current form, right? You know what else is yep. 128 milliseconds? Tekken Tag Tournament 2 on the Wii U. <laughs> The Wii U version specifically <laughs> is significantly leggier than every other version of that game. So if, it's that Wii U power. And a friend of mine had only ever played it on the Wii U and was like, man, that game is so laggy. I was like, wait, really? I always thought it was fine. And then I look at this and say, like, oh, you played on the Wii U. <laughs> so it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's mm-hmm. quite bad. I also see like uh, there's a bunch of those like classic games you can play on modern consoles like there's Mega Man X here from PS4 123 milliseconds oh my goodness uh the slowest though if we look at the so Contra Rogue Core which is a terrible game that's 230 something milliseconds of lag apparently and I mean yeah that's River City Girls 2, 150 something milliseconds. That's a, that's a Unity based brawler. Uh, sort of a, you know, I, I like the, those games, but man, no wonder it feels the way it does. It's just not responsive. Mm-hmm. Uh, Switch, Mega Man 2. So I guess if you're playing Mega Man 2 on Switch, it's 115 milliseconds. What the heck? And the original Mega Man 2 is like 25 milliseconds on NES. So I have a theory about console input latency, which is that there comes a point, and it may be different for everybody, where it just becomes incredibly noticeable and it's annoying. And it's probably at like the sort of circa 150 millisecond point. But then, you you know, because of the controller being inherently... uh, 
it's not a precise controller like a mouse. Do you know what I mean? Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you've got like Call of Duty at 40 milliseconds and uh, Doom 2016 at 86, it's less noticeable. It's kind of, if you can consider the joypad as a sp an input lag sponge, yeah. then, you know, it makes it a, quite a lot more difficult to actually be able to tell the difference. Right. That's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, some others just, that just I wanted to highlight, though. There. So there's this thing called Undernight in Birth 2. And Nigel <laughs> mentioned this to me. It's a fighting game. But he, get, depending on the position of where you measure on the screen, he had V-Sync off. Uh, it actually varied. But it was between, like, 6 milliseconds and, like, 14. Uh, which is, that is the lowest input lag he's ever tested in any game on this list. Which That's is incredible. stupidly responsive. Uh, unbelievable. That was on PS5. So wow. Uh, he also right the next one up from the list there is Super Mario Brothers three on NES with 24 milliseconds of leg, and then that's pretty impressive. Ketsui, one of the M2 Shot Triggers games, which is not it's 24.9 milliseconds, and that seems you know, to be, be consistent curious. with M2's like Shot Triggers games, and that's maybe one of the reasons they're so well regarded is the input lag is like ultra mega low. You know, I'd be interested actually in the difference of input latency between software quake oh. at 70 hertz versus versus 3D effects quake. That would be interesting, uh, actually. Because I imagine software quake is extremely, extremely low latency, actually. Um, another okay, one I wanted to, to tip my hat to real yeah. quick is uh, Moonrider, Vengeful Guardian Moonrider from uh, Joy Masher with a friend of the show, Danilo, who worked on that. That freaking game measured in at like 25 milliseconds. Which is lower oh, than yeah. your typical like Super NES Genesis game, uh, and it is a throwback to those games. But you know, seriously, like that's big compliments to those guys for making an action game that's that responsive on a modern console. Is that a sixty hertz mode? It, or it is sixty hertz. It's a sixty hertz that's, game. That's kind of nutty because I would expect a minimum input lag of like fifty milliseconds that's... because you know you've got like if you consider it as three chunks, three frames. Yep. Right? Frame one, the input happens. Frame two, the rendering happens. Frame three, the scan out happens. So to actually get lower than fifty milliseconds is is actually pretty I agree. Incredible. And the thing about this list that makes it extra awesome is that Nigel posts both links to. Twitter posts that he's made, as well as YouTube links to the videos showing the data. So this thing is, this whole sheet is stupidly comprehensive in terms of showing all this leg data. And there's just a That's ton great. in here. So I just wanted to mention that because after talking with him in the Tekken video, I was became very fascinated with all of his tests and just seeing how these games vary and where fighting games in general are landing these days. Uh, I'd love yeah. for him to test an Atari VCS where the games actually travel with the beam oh my god the crt yeah especially if you measured up in like the corner the left hand corner versus the lower right corner it would be completely different right <laughs> and i wonder if it's like zero like almost zero in the top left and then like 16 in the bottom right or something that'd be nutty absolutely <laughs> probably crazy. i do think yeah input lag is is going to be a key battleground as uh frame gen becomes yep. basically a, a norm over the next I you know, I would say we're, we're at a pretty good spot. Most modern games, I think, have pretty good input latency, and it's largely not an issue most of the time. I think the darkest days were during the PS360 era when everybody was shifting yeah. to very laggy HDTVs and developers were playing with things you know, like deferred rendering, which has their 
pretty significant cost in terms of input latency, especially at the time. Uh, and all these things coming together to coalesce into something where I think there was a period of like five years where games just felt bad. And I think yeah, that that sucks. And it's I'm glad we're past that. Yeah, it's funny you should mention that, John, because the PS360 era was where input lag analysis, external input lag analysis actually came to the fore. That's right. uh, Mick West of Neversoft, who's now a prolific UFO debunker. Nice. <laughs> Basically, uh, Activision bought him out and now he just spends his days living off his wealth and uh, debunking UFOs. Love it. Uh, Metabunk.org. Do check it out. It's a great site. But anyway, the point is, back in the 360 era, <laughs> um, Mick West basically devised the high-speed camera solution. It wasn't so much a high-speed, it was a 60 hertz camera at the time. But yeah, the concept of pointing a high-speed camera at a screen and being able to measure the time between button press and the action on the screen, that was all on Mick at the time. I think there was an article on um, whatever you know, the game develop site, which uh, certainly got me invested in it, which led to the controller monitor board uh, where it, you know, it kind of took the uncertainty out of input lag of when the button was pressed by having a little LED. Um, mm -hmm. That was uh, Ben Heck's uh, uh, invention. There, a lot of third, a lot of um, game developers actually bought those boards uh, in order to sort of measure how responsive their games were. But yeah, the stuff that Nigel is doing, it's actually news. I mean, I've I've been talking about it to the likes of Nvidia and whatnot. You know take a look at Nigel's work because he's like preeminent at this point. But I'm thinking, John, that actually he should team up with Mike on the retro tink side. Oh, yeah. Um, because there is still this problem, I think, especially with VRR, where his technique is is stands to benefit from actually actual integration into uh, a proper device. <laughs> right. That would be very, very cool. And I think something that could actually be done. Okay, we're now going to move on to supporter Q&A, which is the part of the show where, well, every week we ask our supporters on our Patreon to put forth their questions for consideration uh, in every week of DF Direct Weekly. And um, yeah, obviously we get a huge amount of them. We choose the ones which we consider to be the best or the ones that we can actually answer. And we're going to kick off with this one from uh, uh, Great Hacker Alias, this one, Big Man Upstairs. <laughs> Big, big man upstairs is asking, Alex, I spotted your Twitter post about building a smallish PC. As someone who's been out of PC gaming for 15 years or so, beside my recent uh, OLED Steam Deck purchase, what would you recommend spec-wise for someone to go for now if they wanted to have a solid gaming experience with AAA games for the next 12 to 18 months or so without going all out on top-tier cards like a 4090? I'm enjoying the Steam Deck, but also conscious of its limitations, so I'd love to have a main gaming rig for those more demanding games. Thanks all. Hope you had a lovely January. Hmm. Alex? Mini, is this person saying also mini ITX they want? Um, I don't I think so. No. I don't but, think so. Um, you know, uh, I, think, I think ultimately, whichever way you end up, you could get a pretty efficient rig with, with smallish parts that don't generate a lot of heat. Yeah, you could end up with something. I think... Uh, Honestly, I think Riches could almost offer a better opinion here than myself regarding this, like, uh, not breaking the bank power yeah, performance I mean, parts. Yeah, it's difficult, right? Because I don't really know the out sort of the, the, the output resolution that you're targeting. But if I was going to make such a PC within a reasonable budget, which I think is what this guy's asking, big man upstairs. Upstairs, <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, basically, you start with. Um, 
I think the, the mid-range parts from AMD and Intel on the CPU side are both excellent at this point. Ryzen 7600, um, Core i5, 13400, 13400F. They're both very similar power consumption during gaming. Uh, cheap. Even a 12400F, they're super cheap at the moment. So yeah, consider one of those. GPU-wise, I've got to recommend the 4070. I've got one right here. Or the Founders Edition specifically of the 4070 or the 4070 Super. 4070 mm -hmm. Super is a fair bit better. But, you know, just look at this card. It's an actual, you know, remember when graphics cards with this form factor? You know, small ish yes <laughs> rather than the monstrous aib um third party boards that we have these days but you know i've got you know the other thing about this is it's one of the few benchmarks runs that i've done where i can actually take the card out of the machine afterwards and i don't burn my hand on right any any metal part of the of, of the card itself 4070 4070 super i mean they're not the sort of high-end performance parts but they are basically good for um uh, 4k via dlss right 1440p brilliant so that would be my gpu recommendation for that and um i'd probably go for 32 gigs of ram at this point if you're talking about future proofing mm -hmm. uh, any yeah. any sort of dissension to my uh recommendations no, there, uh don't go extremely heavy on the ssd uh yeah. do only as much storage as you need at the speed you need i do not still think that you need a pcie 4 gen drive right. you do not need that so it can get pretty cheap um and i guess if you already have a monitor you're set up but i would say stay at 1440p and do a high refresh rate 120 to 144 you don't need anything better than that Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. Yeah. Uh, I can't really think of too much more to add to that, but I just think we're kind of like actually in a really good place with mid-range parts, not just in performance terms, but also in terms of power efficiency. I mean, the power efficiency that NVIDIA are doing with the 4070 is actually really, really impressive. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, you get 12 gigs of RAM there. That's the other thing, the other requirement, minimum 12 gigs of RAM on the, uh, on the graphics card for a forward-looking build. It's it's kind of 50-50 on 8 gigs. I mean, we're going to be taking a view on that as and when, you know, games mm -hmm. come out. Uh, which reminds me, Alex, I, I still need to go to Germany and uh, yeah. Yeah, that hand over these 40, parts. 4060, right? Yeah. And 3060, yeah. Okay. Good stuff. Okay, let's move on to the next question. This one from uh, Alexander Seidel. Alexa. Um, should id Software commercialize their engine? Every time id Tech is mentioned... It is with a natural assumption of high efficiency, like in the direct last week. I guess that's when we were talking about Indiana Jones. Yeah, yeah. Would it just smoke UE5 by performing a lot better, John? No. Uh, <laughs> the, there's a gigantic difference here. And it, it Tech Engine is very fast, but it's also very much designed for their specific tasks. And I think this underestimates, first of all, the amount of work necessary to support an engine across multiple studios. I mean, that is... That is so much work to build those tools and then support all the companies that are using your engine. So biting that off as Epic has done, uh, that basically requires a, an entire company unto itself just to support it 
and keep continue to develop it to support all types of games and gameplay design you might want to do make sure all the tools are as friendly as possible and usable while these studios and i gather that id tech's not really designed to be that way and i don't think id wants to necessarily invest the money the time the resources effort to keep something like that running and support all these different types of games. Right. It's fast for what they need. They build it to be fast to do exactly what they want to do. Uh, And obviously machine games has a good relationship with them. And it's not like it doesn't have history with licensing on engines. They used to do it all the time, but I think rendering and the complexities of modern games have gone to a point where you can't really do it that way anymore. Not like it was with the old quake engine days. And, uh, yeah, I don't think they want to become essentially a middleware provider. And I think that's that's, that's, that's actually a really good point, John, because there was the whole scenario, you know, if Starfield isn't running that great, why don't they just run it on id tech? (laughs) And the point is that the the id tech engine just can't do the things that, you know. um, (laughs) Not at all. That the Starfield game requires. And I think it's the same thing here. It's great at first-person shooters. But the whole point of Unreal Engine is it's designed to basically do anything. Exactly. With that come with a certain level exactly. of um, a compromise. And anything to add to that, Alex? Good. No, I mean, I just also like it tech. Uh, yeah, like the things that it can't do, Unreal does and vice versa. So it's better to, I'd say don't, I would say, I'd rather another studio makes its own engine at that point rather than just, you know, using Unreal. If they want, they should make their something for their own game. It's always best. I mean, technically the best games always tend to be the ones that have their own proprietary technology for their own game because they are building the features they only need and it's like lean at that point. So I would almost actually prefer that. Did you have something to add there, John? Sorry. No, nothing else really. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Let's move on to the next question then. Um, this one from Anon2648. Always kind of curious what the numbers are when uh, people add them to it. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, let's crack on with the question. Is the time of 1080p monitors over? kind of hope so. Uh, what are your thoughts on image quality slash performance of 1440p DLSS quality on a 1440p monitor versus 1080p native on a 1080p screen? Is there any reason outside of super high refresh rate to still buy a 1080p monitor over 1440p or is upscaling to the point where even those with low to mid-range hardware would be better buying a higher resolution monitor? Uh, this is an interesting question, right? Because I think you know, we're at the point now where uh, 4060, 3060, those sort of class of cards, ARC, they, they do actually run pretty well on 1440p anyway on a lot of games. Uh, yeah. Thoughts on Alex? Yeah, with DLSS too, like I think DLSS is the enabling factor for those cards because native 1440p in a modern game is actually kind of expensive. Yeah, UE5, that kind of stuff. Yeah, That sure. kind of stuff is for sure. And yeah, UE5 definitely. Uh, I I would also like to see the end of 1080p. Uh, it's not anywhere the near end gone. End of 1080p. <laughs> yeah, it's still the po- most popular resolution apparently. I don't know yeah. how many of that is laptop screens. If you look at like the Steam hardware survey, but yeah, or how many of those are, you know, Steam installed on a in a you know like a, a gaming sorry, cafe in a China. gaming cafe in China <laughs> where I would expect a 1080p screen. So it's like. It's a little bit hard to know, like, representative of actual people who build and have their PCs in their home. I That's, like, it's really hard to get actually get a sense of that, um, I think. 
and that's why it's hard to understand like why the GTX 1650 is on the survey at all. Um, <laughs> so in that in that case, I would love to see it, but I still think it has its use. I still think if you're someone who is just a frame chaser, 1080p can suit your you know your desires very well because you can push up things even with frame generation up to ridic- ridiculous 540 fps kind of stuff with 1080p it's more doable at 1080p than it is at 1440p for sure um i still think it has its use but i i i i would almost prefer it because i'm making a video on taa right now uh and i've just started it and it's gonna be a lot of fun it's gonna be talking about like uh the good why ta came into being the bad uh and it's gonna have some nice comparisons uh but i think a lot of um the issues with ta that end up occurring is due to low um resolution density in ppi like pixels per inch in front of your face and like people with 1080p monitors that are sitting at the normal range versus someone with a 1440p monitor they're seeing things on a completely different scale because the pixels are so much larger at that point. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, it's hard. Part of the video is going to talk about that, like developers are d- trying to make like one size fits all solution. Well, that's what TA is. And it doesn't necessarily apply to people. They, they're maybe developing it, developing it for like console games, for example, where people are sitting far away and not for 1080p users up close. So, uh, I would love 1080p to go away over time just so that effects and technologies that don't work at super well at lower pixel densities closer to the face can come to the fore more. And I think that includes things like ray tracing, et cetera. So, yeah. Okay, uh, good stuff. Let's move on to our next question from Roach. Uh, Hi, DF. With Steam Deck using Proton and Mac OS using Crossover to allow some native Windows games to be played on their systems, what do you think is stopping Xbox, PlayStation, and Nintendo developing similar translation layers on consoles to play games from other platforms? Do you think it just comes down to legal issues that aren't a concern for PCs? Thanks for reading all the way to the end, if indeed you did. Well, I, I just demonstrated that I did. <laughs> um, well, this is a really interesting question. Uh, when I saw it on the Patreon, uh, it was one I sort of filed it under things that make you go, hmm. hmm. And um, when you think of the quality of the work done by the Xbox compatibility team, you know, just doing stuff like making PowerPC code work on an x86-based console, I just find the idea quite intriguing just on a sort of conceptual level because, you know, I do think they could probably get PlayStation games running on an Xbox console. There would be a huge amount of engineering effort involved, possibly up there with what happened with Proton, which, you know, is like many, many years of of, of amazing work there to Mm -hmm. to actually make Steam Deck viable. Um. Because fundamentally, the hardware is so similar, and that sort of solves a lot of the problems, uh, especially for this generation. But I just don't see it happening just because of the legal side and because of the reverse engineering effort. It would be phenomenal. Right. Uh, I would love to see this. like uh, Just because if you think about it, PS5 runs PS4 games, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why can't Xbox run PS4 games? Uh, I, I would love it. It just will never happen. I don't the, know. Yeah, the ructions that would be caused from a legal uh, side of things <laughs> would be, for, you know, astonishingly large. 
<clears throat> but I am kind of curious as to how it's done on the DirectX side. You know, why isn't Microsoft, you know, a bit perturbed about this from the, you know, from their proprietary API side? Right. You know, how, I, how, why doesn't it happen with Proton? I guess, mm, I don't know. The, I guess because I think Microsoft is, is just so much more lax in regarding these things. I would actually love to see the reverse occurring. Uh, where you could put your Xbox Series X in a PC mode and it installs a very basic graphics driver and has the memory pool maybe being played out in a way that's more friendly to the game. And then it just pretends it's a PC for a bit. I would love that. <laughs> There's no reason why that can't happen. Exactly. That's true. It could be locked off too. You could not touch anything with the Xbox Series X OS while doing that. You know, it could do a lot of stuff to make it possible. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've literally got, uh, well, that board in the background there is uh, uh, the Xbox Series X CPU running Windows. So there we go. Proof positive, as it were. Um, mm -hmm. Let's move on to the final question of the show. This one is from uh, Te Techie Hippie. Uh, Hello, DF fam, exclamation point. I've noticed that John has been using the OLED panel behind him as a fireplace in the last few directs. <laughs> what a courageous man, exclamation point. Is he not worried about burning? Yeah, I am. You uh, see, the thing John. is, is that the TV is actually off right now. <laughs> oh no what? the fire's burnt into uh, it and it's animated uh, no less that burn in uh pun was quite good it was delicious it was, it was delicious it was, it was quite delightful the irony being of course that the opposite is true the fact that there's yes. constant motion on the panel means they'll never be burning should, from that yeah that's true in, in yeah. reality that's funny of course if you're listening to the audio version of this podcast you've probably not seen the fireplace behind me <laughs> that's okay just yeah, imagine a nice warm crackling fire uh with depth of field blur on it that's mm. real depth of field blur generated by the camera lens i say generated that doesn't even make sense but the camera lens <laughs> yeah this captured because <laughs> these days when you get on the camera with someone you never know is it is this like ai generated or is this like a uh like a software yeah. solution to create fake depth of field and you always see issues with like hair and thin objects uh, but we, we, we're all days. rolling with real camera lenses. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good stuff. Uh, well, that was the final question, and therefore it is the end of the show. Please do uh, like, subscribe, share if you enjoyed it. Ring the bell for notionally instant notifications or something. Notionally. What's up with uh, yeah. Random Gaming in HD, Rich? I've had nothing recently. Oh, I'll, I'll same. level with you. Weird. Uh, notification front. I think I might actually have to try a proper push for getting proper notifications on that. Mm -hmm. I wonder if he's got a Radeon 7. Ooh, probably. <laughs> probably solve a lot of nightmares at the moment. <laughs> anyway, yes, uh, DF Supporter Program. Join us. Uh, participate in the show. Get early access to the show and a bunch of other content. Um, join our amazing community. And uh, yes, the uh, merch side of things, store.digitalfoundry.net. Uh, store the bespoke shirt might actually be going into production. So Ooh, yeah, yes. we'll keep you posted on that. Uh, but that's all from us for this week. Thanks for watching, supporting uh, Digital Foundry, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>